Hi, and welcome to Hope Chapel. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We'd love to see you at a worship service, so if you'd like to join us, services happen every Sunday at 10 a.m. Also, we've made this sermon available for you for free, but hope you consider giving some sort of donation. If you'd like to include us in your tithe or just give a one-time gift to the church, go to hopechapellongbeach.com slash give. In Galatians chapter 1, we uh, concluded that the Apostle Paul received the gospel. He said, not from man. I wasn't taught it from man. And he said, I don't seek to please man, and I don't seek to serve man. He said, I I conferred not with flesh and blood, but it was a heavenly father that revealed to him the truth in Christ. And he said, and and that because of that, he begins to prove in chapter 2 that he's not afraid of man or what man can do to him, because he uh, he opposes the false brethren, as he calls them, the, the Jewish Christians that were teaching that you had to keep the laws of Moses, the ceremonial laws of Moses to be saved, and that faith in Christ alone was not enough. And uh, he says, those who seemed to be somewhat were nothing, added nothing to me. So he wasn't afraid of them, and so he took heat from the false brethren, and he was unashamed to to take that suffering and that uh, that reproach from them. But also, it was not only the false brethren that were caught up in it, but that the apostles themselves, for fear of the Jews, were refusing to eat with the Gentile Christians who hadn't been circumcised, which, you know, the Bible sets us free from that yoke of bondage, but they were refusing Peter and Barnabas and others, and they were all caught up in this compromise. And so not only does uh, he stand against the false brethren, he stands against the true. The true who were being caught up and were drifting away from the truth. And he says, when I saw that they weren't walking according to the truth, he said, I I stood up. I stood up. And so... uh, In Galatians chapter 3, Paul is beginning to explain to the false brethren and the true brethren, this is an answer to all of this, uh, as to what it truly means to be a child of Abraham or a descendant of Abraham or a child of God or a real Jew. And so uh, let's take a look at it and see see how he explains it in chapter 3 and verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, that, that's not a, a popular way to start your speech. Um, oh, foolish Hope Chaplains. Okay, that's, nobody's going to like to hear that. But they were being foolish. And so we see already he's putting himself in a place of criticism or reproach. And... Uh, Not something you want to go through, but sometimes it's absolutely necessary to go through to remain true to the truth. And so uh, he he says to them, he he begins with a criticism and, and he wonders, who has bewitched you? Who's steering you clear of the truth of the gospel? 
Well, it's the devil, of course. But the devil can work through false brethren. And also, the devil can work through true brethren who are compromising. And we have to have the toughness spiritually to withstand both. So Paul says it in chapter 1. He proves it in chapter 2. And now he begins to really go after the problem. And as he begins to go after the problem of how they're deviating from the true gospel, he, he unloads, if you will, to borrow a, a contemporary term, right? He unpacks, right? He unloads this tremendous truth that the Jew and the Gentile are equal and are all sons of Abraham. As Jesus said, God is able, he said, spoke to the Jews, the Pharisees that wanted to kill him. God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. You, you pride yourself in that, but you don't really do the deeds of, of Father Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. So Paul begins to explain the, the right and the privilege of every Gentile who's been saved without circumcision, that he is a true Jew who's one inwardly. And circumcision is not of the flesh, but it's a circumcised heart, is to, to be born again of a true faith in Christ. And that makes you a true child of God, a true chosen, uh, the true chosen of God. And so as he's deliberating to steer them back into the right way, he reveals this tremendous blessing of Abraham. And, but he starts out with, you've been bewitched. And Satan is using not only the false brethren, but the true brethren who've been bewitched to bewitch you. So we have to be clear and free of pleasing man, serving man, listening to man. We have to listen to that revelation that comes from our Heavenly Father. And Jesus said, whoever has learned of the Father and has been taught of God the Father comes to me. Comes to me. So if you've graduated from Heavenly Father School, you've come to Christ. And you've got that diploma. Well, in chapter 1, he says, I marvel you're so soon removed from the truth of the gospel. And now in chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying this because he loves them. And we're living in a society today that if you disapprove of something, or if you go against something, you're not loving. Actually, the opposite is true, isn't it? that your best friend is someone who will prevent you, stand in the way of you being bewitched and led astray by man, and will point you to Jesus Christ, who alone is the true way to God. So, wow, you're really sticking your neck out in this sermon, Paul. You're really sticking your neck way out. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, that you had a man of God who could stand alone and stand against the true brethren and the false brethren who were being led astray. Then he 
he says, let's go back to the beginning here in verse 1. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now, none of us here today are obligated to our opinion. We're not obligated to our opinion. We're not obligated to someone else's opinion. But we're obliged to obey the truth of the word of God. And that stands before any human association or relationship. It has to come first. And it will put you in the place, Jesus said, of being persecuted, of being misunderstood, uh, even being hated of those that you wish to be loved by. It'll put you in that position, won't it? And uh, as it did the Apostle Paul. And he took more than just heat for this issue of circumcision being the means of salvation and the laws of Moses being the means of salvation. He took more than just criticism. They, they carried Paul off. A mob of people carried Paul off and, and the people were trying to reach up. The Roman guards were holding him up and they were trying to reach up and punch him. Has that ever happened to you? Well, you've missed a blessing. So that's how intense it can get. This thing of obeying the truth. It can get very intense, can't it? So he said, let's go back to the beginning, verse 1. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Did you forget that when Christ died on the cross, it was finished? And that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision adds anything anymore. Christ did it all. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you get to this, this status of being a child of God, one who's born from above, one who's born of the Spirit? Did you reach that status of becoming a child of God by faith in Christ, by doing all these works of the law? He questioned. Well, of course not. That would be an impossible task. That to suggest that our works can save us is an impossibility because we're saved by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of our Savior, and we rest in the finished work of Christ. Did you forget that? Is somebody trying to steer you clear of that? Could it be others, your own opinion? The great thing about the Bible is it's absolute. It's absolute. And you can rest upon it. You can depend upon it. You can believe it and receive it and be saved by it. By the glorious gospel. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here he, he shows it quite clearly. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, you are now made perfect by the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law 
or by the hearing of faith. For even Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now going all the way back to the Old Testament, we see that they were never justified by the works of the law. Even Abraham, and we're going all the way back to the father of faith, he says he believed in God, he trusted in God, he counted the promise true, and he followed it, and God said, because of that, you're righteous. Not because you did some works of the law. Even Abraham was, we call him, the father of faith. We don't call him the father of the works of the law, do we? We call him the father of faith. And he is our example of someone who's completely justified and his life is built upon not his own righteousness, but the righteousness that is the gift of God that comes by faith in Christ alone and needs nothing to be added to it. He's saying to these people who thought they needed to add circumcision, and thank you, Paul, for saying that because we need to hear it. Satan wants to get us caught up in what we can do in the flesh. I can look at that, I can do that, and I will get the reward of it. And the Bible says it's not by works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3.5 says it's not by works of righteousness that we, which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. We are utterly dependent, thank God, upon God's mercy and his forgiveness. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What need do we have of circumcision? But the devil was trying to pull them away from trusting in Christ alone and get them to begin to trust in themselves. If you want to be distressed, look within. You want to be delighted, look up. Look up to the power of God. We are kept by the power of God through faith, ready to be revealed in the last day. God is keeping us. And I, recently I saw this, this movie about a mountain climber, and every time he fell from the mountain, he was tied to the mountain. He was tied to the mountain. And when we fall short of the glory of God, we are tied to Jesus Christ, and he holds us fast. When we're not holding ourselves, he holds on to us. When we can't keep our grip on the rock and we fall, he's there to catch our fall by his amazing grace. And now we know what this songwriter said. How sweet the sound. How sweet the sound of Paul's sermon. Because the responsibility doesn't rest on how perfect I am, but in how perfect he is. What a gift. What a relief. That's why Hebrews says, labor to enter into his rest. For he who has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So we're resting in the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan mess with your head. Don't let Satan mess with your heart. I don't care if it's an impressive teacher. Right? So we're obligated not to 
our teacher, not to the Apostle Peter, not to the Apostle Barnabas, not to other Christians, but we're obligated to stand firm on what the Word of God says. And it really doesn't matter what man does. Even if a preacher falls, I never put my faith in the preacher in the first place. <laughs> my faith is in one who cannot fall, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the courage to do his duty in the face of compromise is a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. So he tells us what Abraham depended upon, and that is a relief and a rest to the heart of any person who is distressed from what they can or cannot do. It's not what you know or what you do. It's who you know. And some know about Christ as a historical figure, but they don't know Christ. We can introduce him because we know him. And we know the peace that passes all understanding because we rest in that perfect peace and that perfect righteousness that has made us to be reconciled with God. Reconciled. And it's a beautiful thing. But the devil hates it. <laughs> and he's always trying to distract you, bewitch you by those who seem to be somewhat. Verse 7, don't you know, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. That would make you and I Jews. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And becoming Jews, <laughs> spiritual Jews, we are blessed with faithful Abraham, with the same blessing that God gave to Abraham so many thousand years ago. In you, he said, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what he said to Abraham. And now, you and I are blessing all the families of earth with the gospel. And what a blessing that is to the earth. He says, those who curse you, better watch out. I'll curse him who curses you. And I'll bless him who blesses you. So be careful how you talk about Christians. They're blessed by God. And don't you curse what God has blessed. I will make your name great. Well, I'll tell you where my name is. It's not in lights in Hollywood, no. Probably not going to happen. By this time, who cares anyhow? But my name, your name, is written in the Lamb's book of life. And when he calls us home on that glorious day, my name is written there. And boy, that's greatness above greatness. He has made our name eternal. Well, all of the blessings that God gave to Abraham are ours in Christ Jesus. What a discovery as he's unpacking, right? As he's revealing all these 
things about don't go that way. He shows what's really on the path that we are on. And it's an aged blessing. It's an eternal blessing where you become the friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. That was his blessing. And in every sense of the word, he was the friend of God. Not that he never tripped up. He never slipped up. And when you think about that, it's so sweet to think how Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. For you reveal everything to your friends. And he says, and I have made known everything to you that has been revealed to me from my Father. You want to know what the Father's thinking about? It's all in the words of Jesus Christ. What spiritual leader ever said, I came to bear the sin of many? What spiritual leader ever said, I am the resurrection and the life? What spiritual leader ever said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me? Christ alone is our glory. So he that glories, don't glory in the flesh, don't glory in works, glory in the Lord, who has made your name great and has made you a blessing to the nations and made you a protected species. Well, Going on, verse 8, the scripture foreseeing God would justify the heathen. And this word heathen is not like we use it in popular terms. Oh, those heathen. It's speaking about the Gentiles who yet did not know of the truth in Christ. And they were given to superstition. When you are connected to God, the Bible says that that, uh, we have an anchor. We have an anchor. And uh, in Old Testament times, they had the Holy of Holies where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the cloud, came into the Holy of Holies. Very special place. And only the high priest was allowed to go in the presence of God. Once a year, and not without blood, representing Christ, acting as an intercessor for us before the Father, who the Bible says, He goes before the Father and there makes our defense And what does he offer as our defense? Our works? God forbid, his own blood. He presents it. And the Bible says we have this anchor, right? Because they would would put an anchor on on the the heel of the priest. They'd put a rope, right? Because if he died, no one could go in there. Because sinful man cannot go into the presence of God. So they'd they'd have to pull him out. So Paul uses the illustration, we have an anchor that holds... Underneath the veil. That means when you're anchored, however the tide is moving, you stay in one place. You stay in one place. Because you're anchored within the veil. An anchor of the soul. And the world is changing all the time. This philosopher comes says this, another philosopher comes, says that, cancels out the old guy, right? And people drift with what's popular that day. And no matter how crazy it may be, and I remember when they had the pyramid power, I'd see people jogging with pyramids on their heads. You know? But that was the fashion at that day. And the reason they did that 
is to get the pyramid power. You know, the cosmic forces that were, the pyramids attract uh, would help their jogging. I didn't even bother trying it because I don't like jogging anyway. I don't know why somebody <laughs> would do that. But I'm looking at this kind of foolishness, this superstition, and I'm going, oh, if only they knew the truth. And Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. It was said, no man ever speaks like this man. Go arrest him. Well, we didn't arrest him. Why not? No one ever spoke like him. We couldn't arrest him. The things that Jesus said are so fantastic. And we just pray to see somebody jogging with a pyramid on their head or whatever it is. They've got some kind of philosophy, personal religion. I have my own religion. I said, oh, that must be a mess. I've got my own way to God. Oh, how horrible to think. When you have the truth. And he says it's evidently, Jesus Christ was evidently set forth among you and crucified on a cross for our sins. That's the truth. And no demon liar from hell can ever change that. So this lie won't hurt you unless you believe it. Because a lie is poisonous. And here come these Judaizers in the church deceiving even the, the apostles who Paul says seem to be pillars, but right now their they're pedestals kind of tipping a little. They're tipping over. And he comes in with the courage of Jesus Christ and sets everything right back up on the train track of truth. That train that was falling over, Paul set it right back up. And are we ever glad that he did? And he took reproach for it. The Bible said Moses, when he came of age, when he came to maturity, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Back in those days, I didn't live in Egypt. But I have seen a few of the, the gold, you know, coffins that they sport. And they're pretty nice. And I imagine Egypt was a pretty cool place. And you had all the pleasures that the world could offer. And it said that Moses refused. He lost his sense of valuing Egypt. He refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He would prefer to be reproached for Christ than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt. Now, if someone says something against you for Christ, you have something greater. You have a different treasure. You have something greater than all the treasure of this world because you were reproached for Christ. He said he esteemed it greater riches. Have you ever thought of that that way that when someone puts you down for a Christian that you have a treasure in heaven? Jesus said rejoice in that day. They persecuted the true prophets. You're in good company. And he says rejoice in that day when leap for joy for great is your reward in heaven. He didn't say you have a reward in heaven. He said great to be reproached for Jesus Christ is a great treasure. And Moses, his values switched. 
It said he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater treasures than the riches of Egypt. How did Moses make that switch? His eyes opened. His eyes opened. said when he came of years, he matured, he realized, I would rather be out there suffering affliction, heading for the treasures of heaven, heading for the reward of Christ, and right now enjoying this temporary fun. This temporary glory. So God gave him heavenly values. And he knew that they were more important. They were greater. They were something to be sought for above anything that you can gain in this world. And so he went out among his brethren. And are we glad he did? And so is he. This reward fades not away. It doesn't rust. Moth cannot corrupt it. But it's reserved, the Bible says, in heaven for you. And the glory of it never tarnishes or diminishes. It doesn't last for all eternity. And if you have that value, then you are set free. You are set free from the deception of the devil. The devil's always waving a flag, waving a flag, trying to get your attention. He's a proud spirit. He likes attention. He's always trying to make you hear what he has to say, see what he's doing. He's always there with the bad news, with the negative and the depressing. Hey, look what I've done. Look what I've done. But we need to be undistracted by what the devil does and go forward in faith, paying attention to what God is at work. God is at work. And the beauty and the glory of the Lord, that's where we need to keep our minds. Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things have good report, think on these things. <laughs> if all we do is keep our head down, looking at the works of the devil, the deeds of the devil, the lies of the devil, we're going to get sad. We look into the face of Christ. The day star that arises in our hearts. Christ alone is worth our attention and our service and our devotion and our love, isn't it? And Paul had that true heart. He had that true heart. So he says now in verse 9, he makes a fantastic statement. So then they, which be of faith, are blessed with faithful Abraham. Oh, I thought that covenant was for Abraham. You're right, it was. But then what does he add here? They which be of faith are blessed. This blessing of Abraham is transferred to you and I who put faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as are of the works of the law, and here no doubt he's citing circumcision as their, their, their big hobby horse, right? The axe they grinded, all right? He says, for as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. Beloved, you can't keep the works of the law. You're going to fail. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues 
not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Oh, I can't do that. It may be good, but that's holy. That's pure. What about me? <laughs> but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Faith in the word of God. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in what he says and obeying it. Because that is a walk with an invisible God. How do I love an invisible God? How do I keep close to him? How do I know him? By faith in what he says. And if you're questioning the word of God, it's the devil in your ear. And believe me, he's going to go there. The law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The wrath of Almighty God for sin fell on Jesus. Why did he come? To teach great moral lessons? Yes. To work miracles? Yes. But primarily what his mission was, was to give up his life. No one takes my life from me, he says. I give it of myself. And he laid down his life and became a curse for us. And God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And all we have to do is receive, receive this great work, this great gift of Christ. And the curse is not going to show up. This will give us boldness in the day of judgment. Well, I'm going to go before the day of judgment, and I'm going to really tell God what he should have done. Right? I don't think that's, that's arrogance, all right? I'm going to tell God I had a better idea. The boldness in the day of judgment is, I did it your way. I did it your way. And my only justification and reason that you should let me in to this holy place called heaven, this wonderful land, is that you died for me, Jesus. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. That's why Paul said, I'm determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's how he starts in Galatians. When these people were drifting into error, drifting into the works of the law, he said, how can you be so foolish as to leave Christ? Assurance will never come from going up the hill of legality to the town of morality. Well, it's not going to come that way. You'll never be eased of your burden unless you go to Christ. And there he swallows it whole. He can take all of my sin, past, present, future, all of your sin, past, present, future, and he can eradicate it. He can blot it out. He can forgive it. And the Bible says he will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. Thank you, Lord, for Christ for Jesus. And to think that he's blessed me with Abraham and said, 
Now you're my friend. You're my friend. That's a privilege. I don't deserve it, but I'm too selfish to refuse it. Now, having taken this curse, in verse 14, he makes a conclusion, a spiritual conclusion. And we're going we're gonna to stop there today, okay, when we look at this conclusion. He took the curse, why? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is every one that hangs on a tree. He took the curse in total. My sin, not the half, but the whole. Why? Verse 14, he makes the conclusion. Look at it, it's fantastic. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's me, that's you. I'm Italian. But I inherited the full blessing that God gave to the chosen people. And so did you. So did you. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God wants to give us the fullness of God. He wants to give us the fullness of the Spirit. And he became a curse so that he could. And we're not going to receive it by something we earn. Hallelujah. Something we do, but we receive it by simply trusting that what God promises, He will do. So, if you're a Christian today, be filled. Be filled with the fullness of God and pray that God would continually fill you with the Spirit and give you understanding and might in the power of God. He did it so that he could bless us with the promise of the Spirit and with the blessing of Abraham. It's ours. It's ours. Shall we pray? Lord, only the Holy Spirit can show us that being reproached for Christ is a treasure. Lord, Give us that spirit today that you gave Abraham. We know you have. Give us that spirit today. More of that spirit, we pray. Give it, give it to us, Lord. We ask you to give us more of the Holy Spirit that we might serve you in the power of the Spirit by faith. Thank you for these blessings, Lord. They're unimaginable. As some would say, too good to be true, but we know that you are not too good to be true. You are true. And we are in you, and you are in us. Thank you, Lord. All we can say is praise and thanksgiving today for what you've done through Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.